You ready for my bid? Oh, I'm so ready. I'm, oh, Chris, I'm always ready for, right. for so a you're recording bid. then. Oh, yeah. Okay. Nick, every story comes to an end. Okay. Yeah. And I always thought that this week's movie would be the end. It'd be the final That's That Mattress Man. Oh, yeah, that would have been good. That would have been so good. You should have said that. <laughs> Too late. You should have said that before we watched it's it. It's so late. Yeah. I and was... how good would it be? You're wearing, you're, 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 you're wearing your, your Barry costume. Yeah, just so anyone listening, if you remember from a few weeks ago, I said I was doing a bit where I'm going to wear a suit every week and it's going to get dirty and dirtier. I have been wearing that suit every week, and it looks like um, Adam Sandler's in Punch Drunk Love. That was a good bit. I think this is good. I think I, this intro is just this episode is going to have two intro bits, okay? Okay. I want to show you something. If you've seen this already, let me know. Okay. Okay, you ready? Yes. This is an A24 trailer. Oh, that 90s show. I haven't seen this yet. From my understanding. It's Eric and Donna's kids are staying with Red and Kitty. Okay. How are you vibing with that? Chris, I think it looks like dog shit. <laughs> um, how, do you, how do you feel about it, first of all? Um, I feel like... I... I almost feel like the way that you feel about the iCarly show, where I'm like, I might watch an episode. Yeah? Yeah. I don't know why. That was... I mean, I guess I know why. It was my comfort show after school, but... Oh, like yeah, it. for sure. I get that. I feel like this... I feel like here's what I'm gonna here's my thing. I think there's gonna be one really good episode that sends off the show. Okay. I feel like they're gonna I feel like there's a chance they nail like the emotional thing where like Eric and Donna will come to pick him up or something. Okay. And it's like their final goodbye to the show. Oh. I can see them nailing that. I heard Topher Grace say somewhere that he's in episode one, but none of the rest of it. He doesn't want people to get excited. Uh. He's not coming back. He's just in the first episode. Well, it sounds like Barry and a little bit. Maybe. So it's a super hype. I don't know. I feel, by just the looks of this trailer, I feel like this show might be an important, like, cultural touchstone that I think we might all, for once, as a nation, maybe even a planet, yeah. agree we are done, done with the sequel reboot stuff. Um, that's, enough of, that's enough of that. Yeah. Like, the Fuller House, yeah. everybody's there, and they all have kids, and it's an even Fuller House. Yeah, mm -hmm. I kind of got that. This, it's Red and Kitty. Yeah. And then a bunch of kids, kids I don't really care about. Um, and yeah, that's the thing, is if you're going to bring in new characters, you really got to bring the heat. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I really do feel like that, that 70s show worked a lot off of... Um, Nostalgia and like sentimentality, I feel like. Like it was funny and stuff like that. Yeah. But then there'd be like an episode where like Don and Eric break up and Eric gets visits by visited by like a ghost of the past and the future and you know, reminds him, you know, why he likes Donna or whatever, and then ends with a nice emotional scene where he shows up and he's like, Donna, I don't wanna I don't wanna be broken up any boy and it's all sweet and you cry a little bit, you know? Mm -hmm. Or like the episode where he goes off to go teach in Africa or whatever and it's all sad because him and Kelsa are getting the shot in the butt. Yeah. You know, 
just stuff like that. I yeah. feel like that's what really drove the show. Um, so I feel like it is ripe for like, you know, you do show now because show makes sense, obviously. But I feel like I could, I would buy into like whatever silly way they have to do it. Like everybody's back in town for a day mm-hmm. in like the '90s, and you make like a quick movie where everybody's back, and you just get, you just get like a nice little shot of that like nostalgia of like yeah. where are they at where are they uh, at what are they doing i think if it comes if it comes for a sequel reboot for a tv show yeah i think a movie's the way to go yeah it's not gonna be the best movie ever made but that's not the point of it it's just to be like hey well, you know especially with that 70 show because the whole point is like okay it's 20 years later now yeah exactly it's the I, 90s, which, defi- which de- defecate <laughs> it's a different <laughs> decade blew my mind though um i saw someone point out online that like like the last, i'm sure you know the last episode of that 70 show ends New Year's Eve, nineteen seventy nine, and when they get to one and it's the eighties, the show's over. Beautiful, great, great mm-hmm. idea. But the time between that episode airing and now is in real time, like where that nineties show is. Hmm. Like that's how much time has passed. Apparently, yeah. it'd be perfect. It's almost like Twin Peaks: The Return, twenty five years later. Yeah, because it's one of those things where, like, um, I feel like the the usual trajectory of a show and I'm I'm talking in super general super general terms is you kind of have like a strongish pilot that's why you get picked up mm-hmm. but the first season's usually like figuring it out and then you hit your stride and you kind of hit your stride for a while cuz you're actually like in the midst of churning out an episode every week and you're actually doing the work I feel like when you come back for one revival you might have a really good idea about how to start it but you're kind of back in that season 1 position where it's like okay well what works now and you're trying to work it out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it takes... You know, it's not like you just... You're off to the races. It feels like... Yeah, it feels a little doomed from the start to me. Mm-hmm. Because... Revival series in general, yeah. It's going to get picked up because people love the old show. So mm-hmm. people are going to watch it. But, so, you've, but you've been out of work for as long as the show's been off. With that, like, you don't really know how that works. Yeah. Yeah. Or I, I, I would... And what I'm saying is... It's got the marketability. People are going to watch it, mm-hmm. no matter what. So... No one's really got to put a lot into making sure, like, the pilot's really good, you know? Yeah. Like, even if it is, like, yeah, it's a new TV show, so it's got to... These kids, these new kids have to get a season and a half under their belt for it to, like, mesh and stuff like that. But I don't think... Anybody's trying to get it totally renewed. Yeah, I don't think anybody watching it is going to go, well, these kids aren't good, but I'll give them a season and a half. They're yeah. going to go, this isn't as good as the old show that I remember, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to watch this anymore. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, doomed from the start because the expectation has been set by, like, its history, right? Like, yeah. they're expecting that. And then also, you know, the other thing that I thought about what you are talking about was, like, um, I would wager at least the people who are in front of the camera. I can't speak for the people behind the camera, but, like, they're out of that. They don't really want to get back into nine seasons of... Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Oh, I feel like probably a lot of people. And I'm sure there are even people like the, some of the showrunners and stuff like that that are like, "Yeah, let's do a cheap pop real quick." You know, that's that's fun. I miss this, but I don't think anyone's eager to jump back into the day in, day out, year after year of shooting. Yeah, exactly. You know, a third of the year and yada yada yada. I mean, and yeah, there's a good chance that the behind the scenes folks on ninety show aren't the same, the same people. Yeah. yeah, but, but I, I just think... meant like showrunners, like whoever is like actually owns it or has like their. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like there's somebody back there who's got like their hand on like i was there when it was absolutely you know i think it should here's my pitch okay for the that 90s revival that is already happening so me saying this doesn't matter you do the movie you do a cool 90 minutes it is mainly the old cast as adults now um and their kids are there and you get the kids every now and then 
and they're going they, they they've got b plots they've Wait got c plots second. yeah i don't want to totally derail you but i'm thinking like they go out leave the kids with red and foreman so you have an a and b plot now like what is everybody out doing and then red and kitty back home with the kids anyway yeah exactly and like they probably because they're the the, the 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 adults find themselves in their old ways and their old hijinks again and they're up on the water tower and shit and they're getting high in someone's basement Meanwhile, their kids are getting up on the water tower and they're getting high in someone's basement and they kind of like <laughs> pass like ships in the night and they pass like <laughs> ships in the night until they crash like ships in the night. Yeah. And they go, well, I thought you were, but dad, you're a square. Um, yeah. That kind of shit. Yeah. And if, you know, we watch it and we like the kids enough, give the kids a TV show. But just make a very expensive pilot that everybody's going to watch. Why are, we, why are we wearing the suits? I don't know, Chris. I'm trying. No one's As a man me. in a suit, I don't know. I, no one's paying me to be in a suit. I just am. Um, yeah, you say that Hyde died 30 minutes after the finale. <laughs> Eating Soup Alone is a podcast hosted by me, Christopher Crumlin, and co-hosted by Nicholas Johnson. We try our best to ramble incoherently about a handful of movies at least once a week. So this week we watched Airplane and we mm-hmm. watched Punch Drunk Love. Mm-hmm. I assume we're going to start with Airplane. Sure, we can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Chris, I got good news and I got bad news. What's the good news? Bad news. We got no mail this week. Okay. Good news, that's a lie. I got it right here. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Airplane. And uh, this one's coming to us. uh, Usually it's like typed. It's very nice. This one's just scribbled in red marker. It's kind of giving me like um, Joker era, maybe like uh, Paul Dano Riddler kind of vibes. It seems like I'm going to open this up and there's going to be some kind of riddle where if I don't solve it right, my mom's head blows up or something. Ooh. Yeah. Airplane 1980, this 70s uh, classic haha movie uh, released in the 80s. Uh, Airplane is a little rough. That's a lie. It's pretty rough. Also, it was uh, directed by three people. Isn't that strange? Uh, if you have fond memories of this movie, maybe just let it live there. Don't rewatch it. Sorry. Four out of ten. Uh, before we talk about our history, um, I will say we have a pilot friend, and she says that pilots reference this movie all the time. She says. That's so. I thought you were talking. I thought you were talking about uh, someone else. Who else do we know that's a pilot? Who do you know that's a pilot? Jeff. Uh, yes, Sarah Bay. Sarah Bay's a po- fucking yeah. pilot. Like for for like that's her job. Job. That's yeah. what she does. Yeah, she went to college for it. She used to be a teacher for like three or four years, and now she delivers like organs. Right now, she's flying around the country like every day. She goes to like New York, picks up a heart, brings it to fucking Oregon or whatever, and then comes home. How did I not know this? You didn't know this? Well, I don't know her at all, actually. That's probably why, but I just, that's. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. I want to be friends with Sarah Bain now because she's a full time pilot, not like that piece of shit Jeff. (laughs) Weekend pilot. So, anyways. Uh, Chris, what's your history with the movie Airplane? Exclamation point. Uh, I saw it a lot, like, uh, early teens, like 10 to 12. Yeah. Uh, I feel like it was kind of big in my household. Um, but also, at the time, so was Family Guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. We'll touch on that a little bit later. But, yeah, I uh, it was always quotable. Like, even to this day, you know, my family will still think, still say things like, uh, just want to, you know, good luck. We're all counting on you. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, what about you? I think you, you have a very sweet story with your dad, don't you? I do. I'm glad that you remember yeah. it. May 8th, 9th birthday, something like that. 
uh, my parents rented out the uh, pool at my school uh, because I was stoked about it because kids all the time would do that. I'd be like, oh, we got to do this. We got to do this. And my mm-hmm. parents would be like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't what know. What do you think it cost them? That's a great question. Should I call my mom right now and ask her? <laughs> sure. It's going to backfire. You know, she's going to answer. And she was like, oh, God, these in the driveway. In the, oh, God. She's not going to know. And then she's going to keep me on the phone for another 15 minutes. Yeah. So maybe I should call my dad. No, he won't know either. I'm not going to call either of them. We'll say a hundred grand it cost my parents to rent this pool out for an afternoon. Um, and I was so stoked about it. Um, and then the night before, you know, you're a kid, you just can't sleep. But this happens before I was supposed to be asleep. We went to Wooly Bullies, a restaurant that no longer exists. Uh, me and my sister both got hamburgers because they were known for their burgers, I think, or I was just eight, so all I would eat would be hamburgers and french fries. Um, and me and my sister got food poisoning. And I threw up for about a day and a half, just straight. Um, meaning, I didn't miss my own birthday party, Chris. My parents went to the pool and hosted a birthday party for a bunch of other people's kids while I wasn't there. And they cut a cake and sang happy birthday and opened presents without me. Wow. Um, they filmed the whole thing. so Spectacular. They showed it to me. They got home and tried to show it to me. And I'm like, I'm still <laughs> vomiting. I'm not, I can't look at this. Yeah. Um, my friend's dad. So they just gave you all your open gifts? Actually, yeah yeah um and my dad my uh my friend's dad made me a green day cake with a heart grenade on it and stuff yeah. like that it's great um but anyway before that um while i was uh, puking my little brains out all night like i was up for 24 hours because i couldn't sleep because every like 30 minutes i would throw up everything inside of me yeah um my sister got off easy she threw up for a couple hours and went to bed and was fine the next day she got it all out it really got me. Mm-hmm. Um, but all night, no, my dad, uh, my dad, I'm sure my dad's uh, train of thought was, hmm, the old ball and chain is asleep and I'm just awake with my son. I'm going to show him a bunch of movies I think everybody should see, but also probably that his mom wouldn't want him seeing. So the first one we watched was Airplane and it's a very, very uh, nice memory for me. Yeah. Um, I think we also watched, we watched Pleasantville, the Tobey Maguire movie where he goes into a TV show uh, just because it was on. And then I think we watched Weird Science, which is another movie that does not hold up well at all. And then I think we watched uh, The Breakfast Club as well. And I think the one that got me the most is Breakfast Club, but the one that like I think of more often is Airplane, because I'm eight years old seeing all the shit that's in Airplane, being like, God, Dad, it's so cool. He's let me watch <laughs> Airplane right now. <laughs> that being said, I think you and I had the same reaction watching this uh, yeah. the other day. Yeah, airplane does not age too well. At no, all. it ages very poorly. I think airplane has some strengths, and it has a lot of shit that just bogs mm. it down. Bugs I like. We did not watch Breakfast Club. We watched Blazing Saddles. Sorry, go on. Okay. Um, but yeah, a lot of things. I think uh, uh, I mean, just the sense of humor a lot of the times ends up hurting airplane. Yeah, more like than there it helps. are. There are some jokes that I still to this day think are very funny top tier like them always cutting back to the guy that he left in the cab throughout the movie yeah or anybody killing themselves after he tells them their his long ass story i Mm -hmm. think that's very funny Mm -hmm. but like between you and i i was checked out for most of this movie (laughs) i was trying to make a tiktok for our tiktok yeah um and that had most of my attention and if i'm not wrong you fell asleep during this (laughs) no for like five minutes um Um, but yeah almost off the rip i was like okay this has a lot more in common with family guy than it does in my opinion, with like uh, a lot of its like uh, comedic contemporaries, yeah, like I um, always, 
Like, I'm afraid to watch Caddyshack. I've never seen it. I'd like to watch that. But I always assume that those movies are going to hold up like a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> and they don't. Like, especially watching Airplane, this movie does not... It yeah. is not a Mel Brooks movie. Yeah. Or like The Naked Gun or something like that. I'm terrified to watch those. Because yeah. there's going to be some funny stuff in there. But also there's going to be an old white lady translating jive, you know? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's rugged. Uh, the movie was released by Paramount Pictures, and it was a critical and commercial success. It made almost $200 million on a budget of 3.5. Uh, its creators received the Writers Guild of America Award for Best Adapted Comedy and nominations for Golden Globe Awards for Best Motion Picture, Musical or Comedy, and the BAFTA Award for Best Screenplay. Um, apparently, it was also uh, in 2010, nonetheless, which I guess makes sense. That would be peak Family Guy time. It was selected for <laughs> preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. And in my opinion, that is not good. <laughs> um also, in the in the midst of doing some research, I didn't uh, notice an NBC News article uh, that I have not read, uh, but it mentions uh, that the hit comedy Airplane is 40 years old. This was 2020, but it's still relevant. And I can just read in a little blurb that it still shows it shows its age, but it's not easy to put it on a no-fly list of con- uh, offensive movies, and it would be an, ex- an escape to put it on there. Or sorry, it would be easy to put it on a no-fly list of offensive movies, but uh, that would be a mistake. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I can see the point. Like, it's not like Birth of a Nation or something like that, but also it's one of those things where it's like the little bit of fun I had with it is also just like not really worth the rest of the ground yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, like uh, for example, like uh, um, um, another joke is like like you mentioned the the jive thing, which is just like oh, black people talk funny, don't they? Yeah, like that. Yeah, like <laughs> that's what. That's... Like most of the humor is like the how is someone who's not white different from? Like, yeah, no, thing? exactly. Like uh, the old lady hangs herself, and then the Asian guy stabs himself with a sword. Like that's yeah. Again, like, Family Guy is just cheap. Like oh, it's an Asian character, so it's gonna yeah. kill itself the way that samurais used to back in the day. Yeah, like, it's um. Or like the airplane, uh, it's Israel Air, so it has to have the stuff that makes it different from American culture on it to yeah, like yeah, distinguish it. Like. It's a it's a great point that you keep making. Is this uh, airplane is just an episode of Family Guy, basically. Yeah. Um, like that airplane bit with the Israel thing is like, I see that animated. Yeah, absolutely. In the Family Guy side. I, the only thing I'll give this movie credit for is when that old white lady comes over and starts translating for the two black guys. Mm-hmm. I was like, like I was glued to the screen edge of my seat. I was like, are they gonna make this old white lady say the yeah. word? Yeah, and they didn't, and I was pretty, I was pretty, I was pretty taken aback. Yeah. I was like, "Good on you, airplane!" Yeah. And then the rest of the movie happened. And then sometimes they have uh, lighthearted jokes like uh, like the uh, drinking problem, but instead of it being him an alcoholic, mm. he just splashes on his face. That's funny. Um, and I also don't mean to say that like uh, I'm some priss who can't handle an off-color joke, but like the off-color joke kind of has to have like something more to it other than oh, this is different than how white people do (laughs) yeah yeah it's got to be a little bit smarter than all the all of the humor in this movie because i don't i think i think parts of this movie are funny but i don't think they're really well crafted jokes they're just yeah they're just family quick family guy jokes that are like hey we're just gonna try to make you laugh real quick and then immediately again and then immediately again and then immediately again And none of it ever. There's no super highs, but there are some pretty low lows. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, like, again, like just you know. So like the thing is, is that airplane is super influential. But again, like it seems mainly on Family Guy. Like, we- um, there's the bit where they do the flashback to parody, like Saturday Night Fever or whatever, and they're in the bar with all the rough types, and yeah. uh, 
couple of Girl Scouts are fighting like Peter and the Chicken for a yeah. long time. And I'm not saying that like, oh, it reminds me of a Peter and the Chicken skit. I literally could see a cutaway where for like the joke in the Family Guy episode is that it's two Girl Scouts that are fighting. Yeah. So rough. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like. Yeah. I don't. We should have watched Blazing Saddles with this or another Mel Brooks. <laughs> like, I, 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 like I immediately cut to Blazing Saddles because I'm like, that movie is racist. But it's racist on purpose and that's part of the joke is that these people are racists yeah. not haha black people are different than us mm-hmm. um where most of the like we keep saying most of the humor in this is haha aren't black people funny mm-hmm. um yeah like i mean that's a that's a that's a good point i mean uh you know blazing saddles is using racism the same way that everybody i haven't seen in a long time i don't know but everybody looks very seemingly favorable on uh you know the uh, blackface joke in Tropic Thunder because the joke is racism. Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, yeah, and that that was you know even something that I kind of compared the movie to when I was uh, you know having conversations with some of my friends was like there's a movie that uh, and you know even then there is a bit of a problem with uh, you know because then that kind of gets into the territory of like the aughts and how like uh, you know I'm sure you've heard about this like. Um, I've I've heard a lot of people give the, this opinion, and I, I can definitely see it that like there was a the trend in like comedies and and TV series where a lot of white writers thought that if like oh we'll have blackface in it, but because like the joke is is that blackface is a bad thing to do. Yeah. But like them still being like well yeah but you're still like playing in that wheelhouse and 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 a lot of people comment about how like that can end up biting yourself in the the ass like I you know famously I can remember Chappelle talking about doing like. Yeah. Uh, bits on the the, you know, the the Chappelle show where you know he would do that kind of a thing like oh this character is a blind you know black man who's a part of the KKK because he doesn't know that he's black or whatever mm-hmm. and he's like and then I would bump into people in the real world who are like hey Chappelle I saw your show show them hard R N words like you really stuck it to him and stuff and he'd be like whoa that's not what I'm trying to do with the show yeah you know what I mean and so yeah I mean ultimately though you know whether that's a you know okay to play with everybody's got a different opinion but yeah juxtaposing this with something like blazing saddles yeah the the you know the joke is never ha ha uh i said a racist thing it's you know aren't racist dumb you know yeah i think <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm i think this was a something mel brooks said which is i think really good and poignant <laughs> like and it, and it cuts into that to the Robert Downey Jr. in blackface or even um, the Lethal Weapon episode of It's Always Sunny or um, Jimmy Fallon doing blackface as Chris Rock. It's like, yeah, the joke being blackface is bad and that's the joke. It's bad because, yeah, like what you said with the the Dave Chappelle thing, it like normalizes it and lets idiot, like the dumbest of racists go... Yeah, he's on my side. But it's also when your joke is, haha, racists are dumb. The Mel Brooks quote is about people being like, oh, you could never make a movie like Blazing Saddles anymore. And Mel Brooks is like, yeah, that's true because we already made Blazing Saddles. (laughs) (laughs) This joke doesn't, you can't make it today the same way you can't make a movie where you throw a pie in someone's face and that's supposed to be the joke. Yeah. We're past it, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's fine. But yeah, no. So, you know, I'm not I'm not just trying to like whine and complain. I'm just trying to say that like uh, my experience watching the movie was just like, oh, wow, that was 
Yeah, surprisingly off color. Because again, like you know, we watch movies all the time from a bygone era, and there are plenty of things that you know, like I appreciate that, you know, other people, um, you know, my age, and I have a lot of siblings that are a little bit younger, and you know, they kind of can't penetrate something because they're like, well, that's a little problematic, you know, and I can look past it. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't really know that I, um, can really appreciate this one for, um for any any qualities you know too much um the way that i can others just because like there are so many other comedies from that era that like were funnier more clever i mean like yeah i guess this like uh was a really important maybe even the you know to that point and for a long time after and maybe even today i don't have box office numbers this may be like the biggest parody movie of all time um, and we talk all the time about how parody can be like the funniest comedy, yeah, if not the funniest absolutely. type of comedy. But, you know, what kind of happened after it, I really don't see much overlap between like uh, it and some of the stronger comedies that have come out lately, like uh, that are parody, like uh, what we do in the shadows or or yeah. or, or walk hard or something. Uh, it, 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 yeah, like I said, it mainly seems to have led down the road to things like Family Guy, just like adult animation style humor so yeah that's all that's the only reason why i you know, mean to bring it up is because again like uh, so many of the things are just kind of like well that's more of a demerit than like something i want to look past for the good stuff you know yeah <sighs> but let's run it down from the top right off the rip you're at an airport things are tense music is tense and they're immediately doing the bit with the um the uh, people talking over the loudspeaker. The red zone is for loading and unloading, and no, the white zone is for loading and unloading. And they go back and forth. The one piece of trivia I did read about this movie is that the people doing that voiceover are the real people who do it at the actual airport. So that's fun. <laughs> that's kind of fun. Um, and we meet um, Elaine. Elaine is a stewardess. She's in love with, but it's a tumultuous relationship with Pilot Man. What was Pilot Man's name? His name was Aaron Plain. Aaron Plain. And uh, Aaron Plain is driving taxi. He starts the movie uh, driving taxi. He thinks he's running there real quick to do a nice little romantic comedy gesture. So he uh, leaves the guy sitting there. And you get another little joke where he leaves the, the meter running mm -hmm. and whatnot. There's a couple other jokes in the little airport. You know, like uh, the pilot going to a phone and the person with the loudspeaker saying, no, the other phone. All that kind of stuff. And Oh, it sets up like uh, an old school kind of like vaudeville -y, like, you know... Uh, Oh, the Mayo doctor, Mayo Clinic's on line one or whatever. And, oh, now, uh, you know, um, there's a call on line five or something like that. And he's like, all right, hold the Mayo. Give me a, a, a number five or whatever the fuck, right? The little play on words and stuff. Whatever. We get to our main little thing, the romantic comedy thing where Elaine and Aaron Pilot are talking. And, you know, he's like, I just want it to be like it was before. I promise it will be. And she's like, I have to go. And so he buys a ticket. He buys a smoking ticket, which is kind of funny. It's a funny little one. He gets on there. And uh, from here, he continues, you know, trying to talk to her in passing and whatnot. Mm -hmm. One of the first jokes that I, I, I noticed uh, and that I liked is uh, the first couple times, I kind of stopped paying attention to it after a little while, but uh, the first couple times he talks about being deployed, he's like, I was deployed in Drambui, which is a liqueur. And then later on, he was like, I was deployed in Daiquiri or whatever, which is an alcohol. That's funny. Um, and another joke that I did like is there's a nun reading Boy's Life and a boy reading Nun's Life magazine. Those are funny little gags. But yeah, uh, you know, for every one of those, you, you also get like three other kind of like, uh, uh, oh, Israel Airlines, but it's just an airplane with a uh, beard and a yarmulke and yeah. sideburns. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she does. Um, but also one of the, you know, the favorite jokes is uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
um, as yes, one of the pilots. Great, it's yeah. very funny. Uh, the young boy who recognizes him. Um, I do think about this joke often. Uh, it kind of always stays with me. But uh, then you also get the uh, the. Uh, you ever uh, seen a grown man naked, Joey? <laughs> And yeah, so basically what ends up happening is uh, Leslie Nielsen is a doctor on the plane, and they need the doctor because they served steak and fish tonight, and apparently the fish was bad because everybody who had fish is ill. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I'm also going to mention another joke that I did like, which was uh, when the uh, gentleman asked for coffee off the cart, <laughs> it goes to the interior monologue of his wife, and he's like, she's like... Steve never has coffee after dinner at home. Yeah. It's a good one. Um, but yeah, so, you know, yeah, there are, there are some other gags in there. Um, we get all the exposition, and as you mentioned, everybody's very upset that he's going on and on, and so they, you know, kill themselves as he's talking and whatnot. Um, I mentioned it a second ago. Leslie Nielsen, I think he's a great comedic actor. Oh, so good. He does great in this. Um, but basically, yeah, everybody has uh, food poisoning. The pilots go out, and they activate the automatic pilot. I think it is funny that it's a blow-up doll yes, or whatever. I don't funny. appreciate it a little bit later when, like, it's like, okay, it's right underneath the buckle, and you got to whip it out, and you got to suck on it. And, like, yeah, I guess the joke is that flight attendants blow pilots or whatever. Again, that doesn't really land for me. And then you have some other, like, uh, things, like, in the beginning with the, uh, you know, I'll have, I'll take Rye on five and hold the A or whatever, like, where the what's your vector, Victor, and... Roger, Roger, and over, over, and all that kind of stuff. With the pilots, we, you know, blazed past that a little bit. Um, but yeah, so it, it basically gets to the point where uh, Aaron Pilot, our main character, who has PTSD from being in the war, just nondescript horrors, has to pilot the, 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 the aircraft. He has to overcome that fear. Yeah. And I got to say, one of the things that I, I do like the movie for is uh the part that's supposed to be more air courts serious like the drama of it like one of the things i want to mark out is like uh the uh soundtrack is always so loud and brass and over the top Mm -hmm. and it just keeps this like sense of tension going um but it's in a very funny and outlandish and over the top kind of like uh tone and uh the the actual drama of like you know, them talking uh, in the airport before they even go in the sky about how things will be different later. Like, the way they're performing, it's like uh, uh, an over-the-top theatrical style um, that kind of comes with parody that I feel like some things do well and some things don't do well. Um, And I think they handle it well. It it, it almost reminds me at times of, like, the way that, like, Twin Peaks is, like, a soft parody of soap operas. Um, And I'm genuinely uh, brought in. I I, I tend to like... um, you know things like uh, you know you could even mention things like basket case or like pink flamingos like that thing where like um you know it's often associated with bad acting but just that thing where it's a little grand yeah you know um and i, I do like that over the top nature and i'm I'm mainly hooked in that like the uh, camp is that the word you're looking for yeah it's a yeah. little campy but not like you know campy can also be like taken it, it's also a scale i would consider these light okay yeah light on the scale of camp not as far as like something as like like rocky horror picture show or supernatural yeah, yeah, a show yeah. you know or something like that um just dipping your toes in that lighthearted camp area yeah. um but yeah I'm, I'm invested in the idea that this plane is going down and everybody's got food poisoning and, and the only guy in the plane that can fly it has ptsd and stuff and eventually he has to pilot it and land it and uh yeah you get a bunch of other you know gags with oh i picked the wrong week to quit smoking oh, i picked the wrong week to quit huffing glue and <laughs> You know, that's pretty funny or whatever. Yeah. And then you have that very oddball character running around going, uh, you know, and Leon's getting larger or whatever. 
Um, but yeah, let's just cite the 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 uh, NBC article a little bit more. Um, it says forty years later, airplane feels so wrong for its politically incorrect jokes and raunchy theatrics, but that's exactly what makes it so right. It reminds us of the importance of pushing boundaries at the same time that it gives us a playbook for doing so in a good-natured, rather than vicious or belittling way. And yeah, I don't know. I I I, I could see it if uh, again there was just a little more substance to jokes. It's it's just one of those things where like. Uh, I feel like so much of it is just a cheap pop of like, oh, we said a thing, you know, like, uh, like, um, you know, just to give you an example, like, uh, um, cheap, just in the way of just being like, uh, well, like, there's an Asian character and like calling him yellow. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's but like, let me give you another example. I don't think this is the greatest thing ever, but at least like something like Clerks 2, which I'm not a fan of, there's the whole bit where, um, uh, Randall, there's a whole bit where Randall uh, keeps using um, a derogatory, you know, a yeah. slur. He keeps he keeps saying porch monkey, and everybody's like, "You can't just say that word." And he's like, "What are you talking about? My grandma called me one all the time." And they have to explain to him that like that's a racist term. Mm-hmm. And at first he's like, "Oh my god, I had no idea." And then he's like, "You know what? I'm taking it back. What what does that even mean? That kind of a thing." At least there's something to it. Like the joke is that he doesn't even know, and that his grandma used to say it, and then it makes sense to him because he's like, "Oh yeah, she was a little racist." Like there's they're doing something with it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying that's a great joke, but I'm saying, like, just to give you an example of, like, what I'm talking about, like, the difference between, like, are you doing something with it or are you just saying, oh, black people talk funny? Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying it's necessarily good, like, you know, mean or anything like that, but it's, like, almost inherently mean because it's just pointing. Oh, it's mean. It's just pointing and laughing. It's mean. (laughs) Um, A great point by, let's see, Nathaniel Molar. Yeah. uh, This article on Incluvi.com. Okay. Um, A great point being that there are good jokes in this there mm-hmm. are good timeless not race-based jokes yeah but those are all reserved specifically for the white characters ah. anytime there's a person of color in mm-hmm. this movie the joke is that that person isn't white yeah 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 validates my points thank you yeah oh yeah there's another uh there's another bit i, I totally forgot about and i should mention uh, apparently the trio uh that wrote and directed it or whatever uh were jewish themselves and so like that's something that continuously gets brought up in these articles about how like uh it's lighthearted because they make fun of jews as well as everybody they go for everybody's throat kind of a thing um but there's the joke about uh like uh oh would you like some heavy reading or some light reading which is funny when she grabs the pamphlet but then the joke is here's a list of jewish hall of fame sports players or something like that like yeah is that like supposed to be jews are bad at sports is that what yeah is? or is it and i think now that i know that those these three guys are jewish i don't I'm, whatever you can make that joke that's fine <laughs> um but that one specifically but it is just one of those things where like again i'm going more so for the uh, the point i was trying to make is again it's just another like family yes, guy thing exactly. it's like a yeah uh and then there's also uh when uh aaron pilot is in the peace corps he teaches the remote tribe how to play basketball and he says they take it to it pretty quickly I remember that. You know, remember that? Yeah, he sets up like a bamboo and whatnot, like uh, basketball hoop, and teaches them all how to lay up and stuff. And see how big my eyes are getting, Chris. <laughs> um, I even delved into Reddit to do a little bit of research. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it seems like uh, one of the top comments is uh, those jokes weren't racist. You're just looking for something to offend you. And uh, the next one is, they're not racist unless you see them as racist, which is more reflective of you than it is of this movie. Um, I, I kind of hate that argument because it's one of those things where it's like, if you make a joke about how naturally good black people are at basketball, and I notice that, it's not because I'm a racist, it's because you made a racist joke. 
Yeah, those comments are made by racists. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, and the third one is uh, all about how, like, oh, people love to rap the, this is a movie that couldn't be made the day title on anything, and it's just indicative of how, like, uh, constricted and uh, free speech lacking comedy is and stuff like that. And I I just go right back to, you know, I'm using it in a different context, but the Mel Brooks joke where, you know, like, you couldn't make the study, and he's like, well, yeah, just because it was funny then. And and that's that's something I want to use, but in a different context, just to say that, like, uh, how is it like a stifling of free speech uh like to be like hey those old jokes that are not funny because they've been beaten to dead horses and aren't accurate and you know they're stereotypical and they are racist and stuff like that but even just that like you just you can't you you, 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 you like not just you can't but like also like it's just not going to get a laugh anymore is another way to yeah put no it. Like i think it's, that's it's just not i think that's something not funny that we should all be bringing up way more yeah. hey these jokes that you're making are racist they're hurtful they're problematic yeah all those things but also they're fucking lazy <laughs> and you're not a funny person that's what yeah. that means full stop yeah that's the biggest thing like again like i i do want to like i you know i was only trepidatious in saying that because like i do want to acknowledge that they're stereotypical i do want to acknowledge that they're racist but on the other hand they're also just not they're funny what? like yeah. i i don't i you know again like i'm going to keep using the same example because it's the last thing i mentioned but like i don't need to hear a joke about how black people are good at basketball yeah exactly like I- that's not funny to me. Yeah. Even just, apart from the other stuff where it's offensive and stereotypical and stuff like that, that's just not a funny shit. Like, and I don't mean it in the sense that I'm like, oh, that hurt me and oh, that's such a mean thing to say. I mean, like, if you're just talking about a joke, what's the joke? <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I, you know what I mean? But yeah, it's just, um, they're like the oldest thing in the world is just fucking racist stereotypes. So if you just. If you make those jokes, you're telling me, A, that you're a racist, and B, you are one of the least creative people I know. Yeah, and I, yeah, that's, that's, uh, so anyways, at the end of the day, let's get back on tracks for a quick second. Uh, Mr. Aaron Plain, eventually. Oh, this movie. <laughs> uh, gets a pep talk from, uh, from, 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 uh, Leslie Nielsen. Leslie Nielsen just happened to be the doctor who was caring for, um, one of, uh, Aaron Pilot's, um, you know, the co-pilot buddies in the war or whatever okay. that he, you know, that guy got killed because um, Aaron Pilot's, you know, commander told him to go in when he shouldn't have. And that's why Aaron Pilot's like, oh, God, you know, like, you know, that guy died for no reason. All my boys died for no reason. And Leslie Nielsen was like, yeah, you know, I can remember commander. First name, your last name, friend. Uh, and I can remember him being like, the last thing he said before he died was, by God, the captain did the right thing. He sent us in there and we flew. Boy, we flew and stuff. And he's like, really? Really? He said that and stuff? And it, you know, gives him the gusto to go ahead and, you know, land the, uh, land the plane and stuff. And, and they land and it's, it's, uh, it's all good. Crisis averted. Um, and, and, uh, and that's the movie. I also want to mention a funny gag uh, where he's sweating and he's sweating a lot. Not nearly as funny as in the Wizard, Wizard of, of Oz, Oz yeah. the other week, when that dude's crying and they're just pouring water straight in his face. Um, so yeah, I mean that's the ultimate thing. Uh, I think that's a really good place to end, though, is just to talk about the fact that um, yes, in my opinion, this movie has a lot of point and laugh because different, and yes, that's offensive and uh, you know racist and stereotypical, playing around with that kind of a thing, you know, yada yada, whatever. Um, but also, it's just. Uh, yeah, none of none of that humor holds up anymore. I mean, I, if I transported myself back to the '70s and I was a white guy, and I was like, "Oh, I can't believe they said it." <laughs> I've been thinking it. It sure would be funny, uh, but now, um, no, I, I, I don't um, need 
uh, a movie to say the taboo things that I'm not thinking. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, it's just a bunch of, uh, it, you know, again, contextually, I'm a white dude in the 70s. I might be like, ho, 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 ho. White people sure do talk funny. Maybe I'd be a racist. I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think I wouldn't be a racist. I don't know. But all I can say from this perspective right now <laughs> is, uh, yeah, it, they're just tired jokes that, uh, you know, I've heard a thousand times from dudes in gas stations and yeah. um, uncles at family parties. And uh, I don't think in my lifetime I've ever really laughed at them. Now, that's not to say that I've never laughed at race-based humor. There are plenty of comedians, uh, you know, who happen to be people of color even that do it well. Um, and it's funny right and it's insightful. Um, there's the joke about, no, I mean, there's a, the, the Donald Glover has a joke about, uh, how he loved Chris Rock growing up. Uh, but he could never, he wasn't allowed to say the N word. Mm -hmm. So he would do Chris Rock bits, but instead of saying the N word, he would say vampires. That's funny. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he would do the whole bit was, he was like, because Chris Rock, who, in my opinion, some Chris Rock does have some sussy shit. Like just yeah. for example, like his show, I can remember one bit that like my racist family members started co-oping and a lot of like conservative types did co-op because his whole joke was here's how you don't get blown uh, pulled over by black people step one turn your music down and stuff like that and it's a little bit of like yikes you know yeah. I mean? but yeah the, the whole bit is basically if you don't want to get pulled over by a black you know by a police officer don't act black is kind of what the subtext yeah comes off as and you know i brought it up mainly because the the, the the donald the, the donald glover joke is uh, him pantomiming Chris Rock's there's black people and then there's vampires. Yeah. And that's the whole foundation of Chris Rock's joke is that there are N-words. Which is also... Which is bad. Suspect, yeah. Yeah, I don't yeah. like that. Um, but anyways, my main point was like, yes, you know, there's a good example of playing around with, you know, Donald Glover being like, it, wouldn't it be funny if I said vampire instead of the N-word? Yeah. I... Yeah, I think... It's something I see in uh, a lot of comics that I used to really like and respect. Uh, nowadays, a lot of their like new stand-up uh, sucks, and I hate. Um, like, I think I think just what happened is, you know, however many years ago, Chris Rock could tell that bit or something like that, and people would go, ah ha ha ha. But now, us, our generation, and the Gen Zers, and um, we're all so unbelievably connected with the internet, and we know so many people. And everybody can share their experience that we have gotten to a point where, A, we realize a lot of stereotypes are few and far between and, you know, hurtful. Um, and so we're like, yeah, this just isn't funny. Mm. Like, the joke that you're making doesn't really add up, you mm -hmm. know? I was just going to say, just for example, like, why like you think all black people are good at sports just because that's who you see on the basketball field because exactly. there's a lot of black people out there who don't play like a lot more than the 15 people you see on that court or or however many are on any team or in the league or whatever yes there are a lot of black people in you know basketball for example but that doesn't mean that the millions and millions and millions of other yeah. black people play basketball well <laughs> i can tell you that's yeah. not the case and so we have collectively as a society gone this shit's just not funny. We just don't think it's funny. Yeah. Not it, not even I me personally right now not even bringing up the point of like we're po too politically correct in this and that. No, it's not even just, that. It's just the not bottom funny. line is this isn't funny to us anymore. Yeah. 
And so when I see a comedian like uh, like Bill Burr, I can't watch. I feel like Bill Burr is putting out a, a special twice a year, and I can't fucking watch any stand-up comedy anymore because every comedian goes, "Hey, we're all this is my Bill Burr impression. Hey, yeah, we're all just too we're all too fucking sensitive anymore. You can't make you can't make a joke. It's just like no, that's or even like the new Dave Chappelle thing where he's making trans jokes. It's like, hey man, this shit's played out. Yeah. You are doing jokes that haven't been funny in about fifteen years. Yeah. Like whether or not yeah. removing do I think it's offensive out of it? Yeah. It's just not a... It's barely a joke. It's barely a joke, and also it's not something... It's it's it, uh, what Mel Brooks said. It is not... I'm watching you throw a pie in someone's face, which would arguably be funnier <laughs> than your transphobic jokes, Dave yeah. Chappelle. Yeah. I know you're listening. Yeah. It just... Uh, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm going to write. Uh, spoilers. That's what I'm writing airplane is... <laughs> Would you call that fart noise? Did I put that in our fart noise? Yeah, I put an F. Okay. <laughs> Starts with an F, so okay. give an airplane an F. But yeah, I hate to make the same point uh, for the millionth time, but yes, that's the other thing that like I wish every like comedian out there who's been doing comedy for more than five years recently has just been going on this thing about how, like, ah, oh, you can't say everything, anything, everybody's too woke. It's like, no, it's just times changed and certain things aren't funny. Like, yes, I'm going to acknowledge that they're hurtful and they're, they're racist and they're stereotypical stuff, but even set that aside... It's just, like you were saying, it's like throwing a pie in somebody's face. It's um, just, you know, you might as well just be going like, oh, you make a better door than you do a window. Like, that's not going to get a laugh yeah, anymore. Yeah, it's just not going to get a laugh anymore. Yeah. Like, I'm sure maybe in fucking, you know, the year three when they invented a window that really killed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's just not the year three anymore. I'm sorry. Yeah. Anyway, Chris, what do you what do you write in an airplane? Uh, yeah, I feel like I probably got to probably gotta give it an f um which is funny because i can actually probably say i think this is you can agree with me there have been times on this podcast where we've mentioned that like oh some of the best uh comedy movies are parodies and the first thing that we mentioned is airplane yeah and uh yeah gotta eat my words on that one we just rewatched it and uh yeah like i said it's just you know like yes i you know i i, I am not afraid to say that there are racist jokes in this movie but even setting aside any amount of like offense or like, oh, was this upsetting or whatever, it's just, yeah, so often not funny compared to the few times that it is funny. Yeah. And if just by chance anyone from Reddit uh, <laughs> listens to our podcast, uh, we would love, we would love for you to email us at eatingsoupalone at gmail.com and to explain to us why the jive talk scenes are funny. Yeah. Or why the Jewish athletes athlete scene is funny. Yeah. Let and us I know. We'd love to be informed. We love Chris, Chris and I just love knowing stuff. And we'd love to know why we can find. I like liking things. I don't yeah. like that I don't like airplanes. So if yeah. you can convince me to like that airplane. airplane is a good movie with all good jokes, yeah. and uh, we're just uh, too woke because Chris, we are soy woke. boys. Oh god, we're so woke. Um, oh, I'm so woke, and it feels so feel good. Feel free to shoot That's an email. That's exactly why I said all those things. At us two cucks, and we'll try to read it. Yeah. And uh, we'll get back to you. Real quick about the, uh, you said, uh, explain the jive to me thing and why it's funny. I did read in the NPC, or sorry, I did read in the NBC thing about how like, uh, oh, modern audiences, it wouldn't play well. But the whole thing was that it was playing off of like, um, at the time Shaft had just come out or whatever. And like, it was like parodying that and stuff like that. And it's like, yeah, again, you're parodying the fact that black people talk funny. Like, that doesn't give me any more context yeah, exactly. That just means that the idea that black people talk funny was more on their minds at the time because a movie came out. Is that what you're saying? Like, I don't. Yeah. 
I don't know. And that still doesn't, you know, cover the fact that the only two black people in this movie, besides Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, speak that way. Yeah, yeah. God, I know we're trying to move on, but I just can't get over it. Like, I just, I miss, I miss being able to like Bill Burr. Yeah. Because, like, when I see him on stage or other comedians that are his age and have been around for as long yeah. as him, they're just They still have the star power, and you're like, oh, I want to listen, and then you listen, like, 30 seconds of it, and this. And it's just them on stage going, I'm out of touch. I'm out of touch. The world has moved past me. Yeah. And, but it's always wrapped around, like, when we're over this shit yeah. and I'm back on top, yeah. oh, you guys are going to see how dumb you were. And it's like, no, bro, you yeah. are just, what you were doing is just coming out on stage and going, why ah, aren't I funny anymore? You're just, why aren't I funny you're anymore? You're screaming, why aren't I funny anymore while slowly opening a coffin and putting one leg in and then flipping the other one over yeah. and then going, why aren't I funny anymore? And slamming it shut yeah. and going, why aren't I funny anymore? Yeah, it's it kind of like being like, uh, for some reason, all these liberals think these jokes aren't funny anymore. So now that I've prepped you for that, and you feel like you're a rebel for laughing at it, here's a joke that's not even funny, but everybody like gives them like the can't believe you said it kind of laugh. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, it's so just like the comedians being like, we're supposed to be counterculture. We're supposed to be the philosophers. No, you are not. You're supposed to be, honestly, uh, kind of the opposite. <laughs> you were supposed to be saying something we're all thinking, but we're not as good at what you do yeah. as you are yeah. to say it in a funny way. Yeah. So make my life funny for me. Yeah. There have been times where comedians have crossed the threshold in some people's opinion, you know, like there are figures like uh you know, like a like a like a George Carlin or even a Mel Brooks. You know, Mel Brooks is you know, his his artist statement when he first came on the scene, he claims in a documentary I saw one time was that at the time Jewish uh the Jewish community still treated Hitler like Voldemort and his whole whole mantra was I want to pull Hitler's pants down and make it so that Jewish people aren't afraid to even talk about him anymore. Yeah. Um so there are people who can transcend and do more with comedy, but it's not like your job as a comedian. Like, job number one is be funny. Yeah. If you can't nail that part, you can't hope to aspire to the heights of someone like George Carlin or, or you know, uh, you know Mel Brooks or uh, whatever it is, you know. Yeah. yeah so. Just the whole, yeah, you can't say anything without getting canceled anymore. It's a point that gets brought up all the time. That's kind of not true. Yeah. Uh, you know who just dropped a special not too long ago? Goddamn Louis C.K. Yeah. <laughs> And fucking, I, like, you can still say whatever you want. It's not that because you're getting canceled, your career is going to be over. Your career is going to be over because you're not funny anymore. Yeah. You're not evolving with the times. It's just uh, yeah. evolving with what people think is funny anymore. It just it sucks. So they default to uh, dipshit older right-wing people who are like, Yeah, you're right. We can't say this stuff no yeah. more. And you know what? I'm going to quote Bill Burr. <laughs> Bill Burr has a joke about uh, one of the Duck Dynasty guys getting canceled or whatever. And that guy, to him, he was like, but I was a good boy. I did everything I was taught was okay growing up, and yeah. I was being a good boy. He thinks he's a good boy. Bill Burr thinks he's a good boy. He's like, I'm talking about the stuff i always been talking about. I'm a good boy, Bill yeah. Burr. You being bad boy. Yeah, and it almost reminds me of something that's been on my mind lately. Is like, uh, you know, um, Jay Z, right? Started his career in like '96. Pretty much, almost. I know that these people are deceased. Rest in peace. But Rest there's there's a time period before you're even known where you're still kind of doing it. Mm -hmm. 
there's a degree to which where like he's almost contemporary to artists like Biggie and Tupac, um, but also like uh, Snoop Dogg and stuff like that. And all of those artists have remained uh, relevant and legendary status. And there are plenty of alive rappers as well from that area era. And that's also what I'm talking about. Um, there are even people like uh, Nas, who's remained very relevant, has been nominated for Grammys mm-hmm. the last couple of albums that he's released and stuff like that. Um, but you know, someone like Snoop Dogg, for example, uh, moved on to other stuff. Started hanging out with uh, with um, the lady who went to jail for insider trading, Martha, Martha Stewart. Stewart. And uh, he's become more of like a celebrity, like a like a like a like a figure. Uh, he's a household like, name. Yeah, there are people like Ice Cube who moved into acting and and uh, has had a nice acting career, being funny and stuff. Um, but unlike that, Jay Z was able to stay with the times and continue to have like number one chart top like chart topping hits up until like I don't know what he's doing recently. But the last time I remember him being super in the news is like he dropped that album 444 or whatever, and that was like all over the top ten. So all I'm saying is that for like 15, 20 years plus, like he's remained yeah like not only relevant in the way that like a legend would be if they put out like a seminal album or two 20 years ago and now they're around because like that's fucking you know you do you know who you're talking to. But Jay-Z has remained relevant, like, alongside people like Drake, who started their career 10, 12 years after him. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I'm saying? Um, And so uh, that's just uh, something that's not really comparable, but it's just an example of, like, if you keep up with the times well, you can sustain not just a reputation, but also, like, legitimate, like, modern-day current relevancy. Like, I do things right now that are considered still better than most of what's coming out so so we watched punch drunk love also yeah i was gonna say so eat a dick uh bill burr you dumb shit <laughs> i don't know why we're focusing but, on him so much there's also other people out there that's true i Chappelle. Um, other comedians dave Chappelle yeah. and took a nosedive that first netflix special i thought was so funny Oh, I thought... And then it was like the second one where he was like, hang on a second, trans community. You guys are doing a little too well right now. And, we're like, and right, I say that's... well in a very, like, I'm being sarcastic when I say well. Things are not great for their community right now. Yeah, and to the point where, like, because he did, like, nine of them. And then that yeah. last one isn't even jokes. He did one called One ranting. More Punch. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, Chris, it's hot as fuck in here. I don't know if you've noticed. I've taken off half of my clothes already. <laughs> I got a tummy ache, and I'm also very hungry. So let's talk about Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, let's talk about Punch Drunk Love. Oh, God, a letter just hit me in the face. Where did this one come from? Punch Drunk. Love. 20... 2000 and... It's a 2002. Hot damn, that little guy Paul, Tommy, Andy sure can make a motion picture starring, surprisingly, Adam Sandler. Punch Drunk Love is PTA's attempt at making a romantic comedy. You arguably failed this goal, but that's fine because this film is something all its own and is better for it, in my opinion. 8 out of 10. Christopher! Just read Punch Drunk Love. Uh, I don't know. I saw it at some point and just fell in love. You? Um... It is like every movie you recommend to me. Yeah. Like, Chris, you know what I know I'm going to love? Hmm. L.A. Confidential. <laughs> you know what I don't want to fucking watch? For some reason, L.A. LA Confidential. Confidential. Like, I, I, it's, I've said it, I'm pretty sure I've said it on this show before, but I, have, I hate being told what to do, and that even comes down to recommendations. <laughs> when someone recommends something to me, I'm like, eh. Yeah. But... Yeah, just one day, I just, after hearing you talk about it forever and ever, I just sat down here at home alone one night and watched Punch Drunk Love, and I was like, fuck, this movie's so good. 
And then I picked it uh, this week and I watched it last night and I was like, God, this movie's still so good. Um, I would like to get more versed in uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I think I've seen this, There Will Be Blood, Boogie Nights, and Magnolia. Yes. And I'm missing what, Licorice Pizza is the newest one. Mm-hmm. There was uh, also Inherent, Inherent Vice, Vice, which I didn't care for. I haven't seen it. I really yeah. like to. I There's like, also I The like Master, I believe. I haven't seen The Master. Is he the Phantom Thread as well? Maybe. I don't know. I know it's Daniel Day-Lewis's last yeah. movie, but I don't know if it's a PTA joint. Yeah. This may be my favorite PTA joint. It's oh, yeah? always neck and neck with Magnolia. I yeah, always talk about it's... Like, he might be... As someone who hasn't seen all of his movies, and the ones I have seen, I've seen once, maybe twice... He might be like hit for hit my favorite director. Yeah. I loved everything I kept thinking I've about seen the whole time yeah. I was watching. I was like, "How is this guy so good?" There's only one corny thing. There's like a transitory scene where you see that kind of like pastel-y, but not pastel like uh, like it looks almost like like painting. You know, it comes up during yeah. the uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. what is that? Like it's like the title card. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it comes up a lot. What in is that? Movie. I don't know. It's it, like whatever it is. They it's use it as like a transition for some reason. Yeah, it's just like paintings over and over yeah. again. But anyways, uh, it's the transition into the woman that he was on the sex hotline phone with. Yeah. Um, like, he's she's talking to the guys that she's going to send to go f- beat up Andy for money. Andy Sandler. Yes. Um, and he says, like, the first line of dialogue before you're anything is just him saying, like, can I take the brothers? And, like, I don't know, it just, it just, it just hits me a little weird. It okay, hits me like, uh, it just sounds like something that, like, I don't know. It... Like it, it sounds like film school dialogue writing kind of a thing. It's I like the that, only yeah. thing that sticks out is like overly dramatic about like oh, that's just a weird thing to say. Like, can I take the brothers? Like, why are they the brothers? Why are they known as the brothers? No, oh, yeah, I you know get what it I mean. Like, sure. it's just a weird. But that's the only <laughs> for me. The rest of it, I would say, um, one, yes, he did the Phantom Thread. But two, I wrote it down in my notes. There's that scene where Barry and Lena are walking away and they're holding hands. And the transition it does is the circle that gets smaller and stops around their hands and then closes. That's horribly corny. It does not fit any part of this movie, but I'll allow it. I yeah. liked it anyway. It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. Um, God, I just, I can't, I'm, Chris, I'm goo goo gaga over this oh, movie. Oh, yeah. It's so good. This is a movie I drool over. So to begin, my understanding of the lore is that um, PTA had such a big hit on his hands with Boogie Nights that basically the studio that he was working with, I think it was New Line Cinema at the time, was like, you can do whatever you want with your next movie. And he set out to basically write what he considered, or at least what was his idea, for uh, Punch Drunk Love, which was to be a very small-scale story to kind of like juxtapose like the ensemble cast of Boogie Nights. And then the reason why he ended up naming the movie Magnolia is because slowly as he was trying to make Punch Drunk Love, it just kept billowing out like a magnolia flower until it was an even bigger ensemble cast movie than Boogie Nights. So eventually when he got the chance to make Boogie Nights, again, his idea, his goal was to just strip it way back into a very simple story again. You know, it was his take two of like, all right, I fucked it up the first time and did a way big movie on accident. Now I want to do a way small movie. And um, yeah, this is, you know, in my opinion so much in the small movie it's huge yeah <laughs> yeah that um in my opinion uh it's 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 one of those things where like um you know this almost seems like paul thomas anderson watched uh too many david lynch movies before making this um it doesn't have like the uh nightmarish like surreally stuff but it has like that just like continually minimal surreal like off kilter like people saying things and then taking too long of a pause between um yeah but not in like a overly dramatic like a24 kind of way 
it's almost like this awkward never gets going fully but somehow has a bunch of steam powering the engine kind of like awkward um like nervous energy to it yeah <laughs> you know? so yeah it's like i feel like there's like uh how many things are going on in this movie he's like he's running the business he's trying to get um with lena he's trying to navigate his family and he's getting blackmailed mm. and they all move at different paces yeah but they all like resolve at the same time kind yeah. of but it feels like like with the business and uh, his love interest, it's like kind of like a stop, start, stop, yeah. start. Meanwhile, he's ignoring in the background the full steam ahead blackmail. Yeah. So you kind of forget about that. Mm -hmm. And then he'll pick up the phone and it's like you get hit by a yeah. train. And it's just so good. But my um, uh, David Lynch examples are like Philip Seymour Hoffman reminds me of like a character almost like um, Robert. Not Robert Duvall. Um, what's the guy's name in uh, Blue Velvet? The bad uh, guy. Dennis Hopper. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman reminds me of almost like a Dennis Hopper and Blue Velvet type character. He's yeah. just evil and there, and you never get anything about him or what he's got going on. So it's sorry, uh, I'm sorry to keep interrupting you. I just I think we just equally love this movie, yeah. and every time you, you keep talking about it, I'm like I got like ten things to say about that <laughs> that are kind of related. Yeah, I think this movie has the absolute best use of Philip Seymour Hoffman in any movie. Yeah, because he's arguably not even really in it. Yeah. But when he is in it, you are getting as much Philip Seymour Hoffman acting as you are getting in Synecdoche, New York. Like mm -hmm. he slams all that into the two minutes he's on screen and he's just effective in this and the feel of the whole movie as he is Synecdoche, New York. But yeah. he's in this movie for maybe less than two three minutes. minutes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but another example, another thing I want to you know, bring up to support my David Lynch case is... Uh, like, take any scene, and it sounds like David Lynch is pinching, pitching you a movie sitting next to you. Close your eyes for a minute. Uh, there's a man, and he's sitting in an empty room. There's nothing on the walls. It's just his desk. And he's sitting there, and he's on the phone, and he's talking to a yogurt company about a promotion they're running, about frequent flyer miles. The man has realized he can scam the company for more frequent flyer miles than the yogurt company is selling their product for. Then he decides to get up from his desk, and it's not quite... It's almost dusk. He goes outside, the sky is purplish. He takes a sip of his coffee, he's watching the street, there's no one on the street because it's so early in the morning. And then, a car accident barrels down the street, and he's in awe of this. He's very nervous by this, he's a nervous gentleman. And then, before he can even process that's happened, a cab pulls up, a taxi cab, a checkered yellow taxi cab, and he drops a small harmonium onto the street, and then peels off. And then suddenly it's quiet, and the man is standing there, staring at the small harmonium. I'm sorry, David, uh, this is Mark from the network, I don't mean to interrupt, but... Didn't you tell us that this was a romantic comedy? Yes, we're getting there. As he's looking at the harmonium, a young woman by the name of Lena walks up to him, and she says, Hi, is the mechanic open yet? And he says, No, the mechanic doesn't open until 8. She goes, Oh, I thought it opened at 7. Can you take the keys and um, give the car keys uh, to the mechanic uh, when he gets in? Yeah, that's perfect. That's a, yeah, I, <laughs> and also, Chris, I love how your, your David Lynch impression faded but grew at the same time <laughs> like you kind of dropped the of yeah. david lynch but you like you started toward the end nailing just like how he pronounces and structures sentences yeah that was great i was very impressed um but no you're absolutely correct yeah, yeah. there's so much of it that like if you think about it as a sentence david lynch would say <laughs> yeah you know like it almost feels to me like uh it's not because obviously paul thomas anderson made it but this is the closest i think i think we'll get to like if david lynch made a romantic comedy yeah absolutely <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, right from the rip, I I I, I love um, love the suit. It's my first note. I do love the suit. Yes, I I also will shout out uh, Luis Guzman. Immediately uh, mm. <laughs> comes in mm. and he's like, "What's with the suit, Barry?" And he's like, "I don't know. I saw it and I just thought I should wear a suit to work." You know, so I'm wearing a suit. I, 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 my favorite thing about Luis Guzman in this movie <laughs> is, is that he shows up the next day wearing a suit. Yes, I love yes, that. that's great. But I love that. Like I always feel like Luis Guzman is going to give him shit. Yeah. about whatever he's doing he's one of my favorite character actors i love oh he's Luis so Guzman. good uh, like i love later when he's like uh i'm uh, like he's like what's going on where have you been he's like uh i'm gonna go on a trip i'm going to hawaii he's like you're going on a trip how fantastic <laughs> yeah it's really interesting it's interesting that he has this guy right here who uh obviously like likes him a lot yeah you know like he wore a suit to work, and so he's like, I'm going to wear a suit, too. Like, yeah. that's something you do if you like somebody. And yet the Barry character is lonely, despite having this character right here who seems to be interested in, like, you know, being more than just co-workers with him. Yeah. Um, um, but we'll get to that. I, just from the rip, you you already get, um, I, I think when he's on the phone uh, with the, the gentleman, the opening scene, you already get his lonely characteristic. Yeah. Uh, because he mentions like uh, I think he says something like he asked the guy's name and he's like can I, I can call you back at this this number I'll be able to call you back you know he's really like it just signals yeah. like I'm looking for a specific human interaction yeah when he goes I can give you my my home phone number yeah. in case you want to call me back whenever. he's like business hours should be fine <laughs> yeah um, and then when he uh, meets with Lena I like that uh, the first thing he does is he ducks and he hides around the corner. Even though she's obviously leaving and stuff like that, and he has to peek around to make sure she's gone. Um, no, I, again, it's just the anxious I thing. I think what's so funny about that yeah. is I think, I could be remembering this wrong, but I think she's gone. Yeah. She's out of sight, yeah. and then she hides behind yeah. the corner. Yeah. And it's just because he needs to like decompress and like process that and stuff like that. Yeah. That's how anxious yeah. he is and stuff. I want to bring up two things just immediately. Okay. One, how fucking like, I, I want to talk about how like god i don't want to i don't want to use the word genius i want to talk about how like like in ingenious how inspired adam the choice of adam sandler yeah. in this movie is because yeah. it's like i don't think this might be his first like serious movie mm -hmm. but i think what works about him so well in this is probably what works so well about him in uncut gems um, so don't talk about it too much. It's great. It's just his performances. He is doing an Adam Sandler character. Yeah. But he's got the dial set very specifically at like halfway. Yeah. Or something like that. So for this very anxious guy or the over the top kind of real life personality of um, a pawn shop owner in yeah. Uncut Gems, it just works in such a beautiful way that I would never imagine coming from. Yeah. Adam Sandler like um, I, we will absolutely get to it later but there are so many scenes where I'm like this is like an Adam Sandler bit that if I saw in an Adam Sandler movie I'd be like eh but because he's here in this movie and yeah. it's not the joke is kind of like look how silly this guy is but also I believe him and I love this guy and I yeah. want everything to work out for Barry mm -hmm. the fact that when he's running away from the guys chasing him he's going eh <laughs> while he's running it's yeah. such like a dumb adam sandler yeah. bit but it's all so endearing on yeah. top of he's running for his life and he's making the sound because he can't run anymore but yeah. he's still running yeah um i think i'm gonna go on a limb he almost has a bit of the gene wilder thing yeah where through I, his comedy so often in, in in his movies uh the thing is that he's like they're doing 
and, like he explodes in anger and so like you know that that's in him and that's part of the character it's almost like the character is written for him because even I in the scenes where he's nice and, yeah even in the scenes where he's nice and quiet and stuff like that you just know that it's right there even when like um you know not even a sister's pestering or something like that he just has that like y- you're uneasy you you buy into like his anxiety because you feel a little anxious watching him because you know that that's coming and that he can do that that he can smash the windows yeah, and stuff absolutely. Like that. um but yeah, uh, I think one of the next things we get, stop me if I'm wrong, is is him doing a sales pitch. Yes. And, and his sisters start calling to see if he's going to that party. So annoying. But my yes. note that I wrote down here is, Chris, would you... Sorry. Would you rather have sex with a centaur or a tauren? Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. So he's given the the, the 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 like a demonstration to the the, the people, and uh, they keep calling, and you know the the guy's like, "You have a sister?" He's like, "Yeah, actually, I have seven. And uh, I love that they keep calling, and uh, he's like, "Sorry, that was my other sister." Yeah. Sorry, that was my other sister. Yeah. And he goes, "How many sisters do you have?" He goes, "I have seven. Yeah. And he goes, "What about you?" I'm an, I don't know. I think he says to her earlier, uh, later, and she's like, "I'm an only child." He goes, yeah. oh, "That sounds nice." Yeah. There's so many things like, "Oh yeah, I love that bit where he just keeps like, he's like, "I'll be right back. I have to get that." Like. Just like clearly annoyed, but still being so nice. Like mm-hmm. he is a character. You know, Barry is so nice. You know, he's just like just a second. Yeah, one second, one second. He's almost like Charlie Bucket. Um, I, and I love that when he's given the display. There's so many little jokes in this movie that are not laugh out loud funny, but I, I like they make me laugh harder than I laughed at airplane. Like yeah, when he was like, we've already sold all of the 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 money in the tube plungers to a casino in Vegas or whatever. Like, he just says it so casually, like, nonchalant, whatever. It makes me laugh. Or, like, we with these new models, they are basically indestructible. It's yeah. like at the counter and explodes. Like, he's like, this must be the old one. Uh, do we, uh, we still have a couple old ones later on. Could you go get one of the new ones? Thank you. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> so, yeah. so good. Uh, and it's also sold perfectly by the fact that neither of the guys move when, the exp- when it blows up. Like, the two guys he's selling to just stay completely yeah. still. Um... Anyways, yeah, we already get a taste of the fact that they're they're awful. I don't know when the first time that he goes hunting in the grocery store is for the products. I think it's... Um, is it before or after the party? After. After? Before. Before. Okay. I think what happens is Gail Snail shows up at work. Yeah, and, he, and she says, right. yeah, I have a friend from work that I'd really like you to meet. And he's like, oh, well, that's... There's an off chance, there's an outside chance I'm not even going tonight. And she's like, really? Because you told everybody you're going, you know? And they have a whole conversation about, like, I, yeah... I wrote down so many quotes from this movie in my notes, <laughs> but it, God, when she's like, I have a friend and I want to set you up, and he goes, oh, no, I don't do things like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's like, yeah, Barry, you don't do much of anything or whatever. Um, but anyways, when he goes hunting for the best product to get the most frequent flyer miles out of this 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 advertising error, it's something like, oh, for every dollar you spend, you get 500 frequent miles, whatever the hell it is, or every product or whatever it is. And uh, he's like, come on, come on, come on, what am I looking for? And he's going around, looking around the... And there's a little thing that I noticed, which is that uh, in the background, there's the man in the red shirt who follows him. He's at the end of the aisle, mm-hmm. and he looks, and then that guy, like, goes away or whatever. But then when he's, like, walking later on, there's a woman you never even see in focus. She's just a red blob that keeps, like, yeah, following him. Yeah, Oh, I is it, it really? It's got to be, because it's, yeah, it's, it's wearing the dress. Red, yeah. yeah, okay. Oh, it's so good. I, I, yeah. I wrote it down on my notes, because it's so good. I just absolutely love that. Like, you yeah. don't... Like, they're not even... I don't it's just a, 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 I don't want to use the word genius but it's so inspired this movie is genius like just there's no absolutely nothing about it is indicating to you that she's in the grocery store at the same time as him and they just like ships in the night pass each other but because she's the only person wearing something that bright yeah in this white white 
boring ass uh, grocery store. She's so out of focus and so in the background. You just immediately know it's her. Yeah. Um, Barry shows up to the party and immediately they're talking. All seven sisters are talking about him and about how angry he used to get. And we used to call him gay boy. We'd always call him gay boy and stuff like that. And he comes in and they're like, you remember when you used to call you gay boy? And he's like, what's that? And they're like, yeah, we used to call you gay boy. And he's like, ah, oh, no, not remember Why'd that. you have a hammer? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. I don't remember. Yeah. No, what I love, I love what he says. They keep saying, they keep saying, I don't remember. And then there's a bunch of He's like, why did you have that hammer? He's like, why did I have the hammer? Like, he doesn't fully understand what they're saying kind of a thing. Like, no, I, th- like, I think, like, he's saying it like yeah. that, but you can so obviously mm. tell that he knows exactly what yeah. they're talking about. Which yeah. gets into something I want to make note of. This is maybe the first, maybe there's been one before, but it's there's many, you know, instances throughout the movie where he tells little white lies like them. Yeah. Um, like, we're barreling towards the scene with the the, the dentist's brother-in-law, and, and we'll get there. Um, but I, I just want to note now... Um, that uh yeah he does that often he lies usually for like mm-hmm. the sake of self-preservation it's not mean lies there's kind of like little white lies where he's just trying to avoid trouble with people and stuff like that and i want to mention that the only time he's ever honest with somebody is with lena yeah they're in the car all the time and she's like what's with the little piano and and you know uh she's like did you steal out of the street and he's like yeah i did he uses the same inflection he does when he lies because he usually goes like no no no, he's yeah, he's lying, you know, or something like that. And in that moment, you can just feel like him deciding, like, yeah, instead of saying like, yeah, no, he's just gonna be like, yeah, I did. Yeah, no, and yeah. I love like later, like when they're whenever they're on dates or like after they go to Hawaii and stuff like that. Like I think, I think it's like the la- it's like maybe the last scene of the movie uh, when they're like hugging at his at her door and he apologizes for leaving her at the airport. He goes. I smashed up the bathroom when we went to that restaurant. Like it just, he just like, I, yeah. or like even when they're in the bed, and he, she's like, "What? So what business do you have uh, in Hawaii? Where do you need to yeah. go?" And he goes, "I don't have any. I came here to see you." It's yeah. just like, yeah, he just very slowly, like more and more, opens up to this girl. Um, I absolutely love the cake joke when he sees his sisters because it's so quiet and it's so understated. I don't think understated is the word I'm looking for. But he gives a sister, she goes, oh, happy birthday, and gives her a cake. He goes, she goes, oh, a cake. You brought me a cake from it. We already have a cake. And it's just the biggest cake you've ever <laughs> seen. He's got a little tiny one. And she puts it down, and then, like, the scene passes, and he talks to Gail, the snail sister, and she's like, I told my friend not to cut his ear off the hook. He's like, oh, cool, thank God, blah, blah, blah. And him and the brother-in-law are talking. And like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And there's a beat, and I, I was watching this with headphones on at maximum volume, and I could barely hear it. But, like, amongst the chatter in the background is his sister going, yeah, he brought me a fucking cake for my birthday. It's my birthday. Like, I don't have a fucking cake already. Yeah. And it's so good. Just so, yeah. just like, every, like, every time there's a, like, chitter-chatter with the sisters in the background, it is somebody talking shit about him. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Um, he talks to his brother-in-law, and he says, uh, he says, Barry, how's work or whatever? And he's like, oh, business, business is food. And his sister goes, did you just say food? And he's like, food? What? No, I think I said good. She's like, you said food. And then the, there's, like, a beat, and the, the, the brother-in-law goes, Maybe you said it because you were hungry. Yeah. Or whatever. And then, uh, yeah, and then I think there is something else that the sister says that trip, like, just it breaks the camel's back and he smashes the sliding glass windows with a hand. Yeah, or it kicks it or whatever. Fuck, Barry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they call him more awful slurs. Um, and then they end up uh, in the laundromat, the, st- the brother-in-law and then and Barry, and he says, uh, I don't like myself, and sometimes I cry and stuff like that. And this is another great comedic moment that I think about all the time where he's like, Barry, I'm a dentist. And he's like, I just thought maybe you had, like, other doctor friends, you know? Yeah, and I, yeah, I do I yeah. do genuinely love this scene. Um, I love the brother-in-law, how supportive he is, and he's just mm. like, 
But if it's about getting you in contact with a psychiatrist, I can definitely help you with mm-hmm. that, Barry. What's what's going on? Yeah. And Barry's like, I just don't like myself, yeah. and uh, I don't, I don't really have anyone I can talk to, and I just I feel bad all the time for no reason. Mm-hmm. And I just like I, I just, sometimes I just start crying. And he's like, cries at his hands. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's just such a good, like, just a good like Adam Sandler's comedic timing. But he goes, yeah. I just, I cry out of nowhere sometimes, and <laughs> yeah. losing it into his hands. It's so I will weird. say I, I don't know in terms of dialogue or chitter chatter, but it seems like Gilda Snail is perhaps the sister who cares the most about him. Yeah. Uh, she doesn't seem to be yeah. overly mean so much as she's just very forward. She's very blunt. Like, she's the one that wants to bring someone to the party. She's the one that goes and sees him in person about, hey, did you talk to my husband about needing a therapist? Like, what's going on? You know, it just happens to be awful timing. And I, Barry doesn't really want to be open with her. Um, but yeah. those things to me show that, like, Gail, you know, is someone that genuinely is interested in her brother and wants her brother to be doing well. I would say no. Okay. I would say I get the feeling from her. This could just be me, me projecting. I get the feeling from her in her actions and the way she talks to him and about him mm-hmm. that she doesn't so much care that her brother's doing well is that she doesn't like how embarrassed she is of her brother and she wants to change that. Okay. Like, um, the, did you tell my husband that you wanted a therapist? What's, what is wrong with you? What do you need? Why are you, or, um, or as soon as, um, he's away from her and Lena, Gale Snail goes, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's so fucking weird sometimes, like, trying to immediately make excuses for, listen, I know my brother's this way, but it doesn't reflect me at all, you know? It just, it mm-hmm. feels, everything she does feels malicious in some way, even though I know what you're saying, is she's the only one actively trying to help him, but mm-hmm. it feels, like, in a disgusted way, kind of. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. No, it makes it complicated, and that's what makes it good. Yeah. So anyways, um, after the party... Sex line. Sex line. He goes home, he calls a sex line because, again, he's just a lonely guy trying to... Uh Uh-oh, it's a scam. Yeah, I love... um, Again, this is just one of the... uh, Not not the funniest thing in the world, but I laughed like it was the funniest thing in the world. Can you have him call me Jack? I just don't want him knowing who I am. (laughs) Yeah, sure, they'll they'll call you Jack. It's fine. And I love... He has to hang up so that they can call him back, and he's waiting there for a bit. And they call back, and he goes, "Hello, this is back." <laughs> yeah, and she goes back. I'm looking for Jack. <laughs> oh, so fucking good. Yeah. Um, and then he wakes up in the morning, and she calls back. She says, "Hey, I need seven hundred fifty dollars for rent." And he's like, "Yeah, yeah, I can't do that. I can't afford that." And uh, she's like, "I thought you were a big businessman, or whatever." And he's like, "Yeah, no." Or I think if what happens is she says, "I need some help financially." He's like, "Yeah, I can't afford that." And she's like, "I haven't even told you how much." And she's, he's like, "Okay, how much?" And she's like, "Seven hundred He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I can't afford that." No. <laughs> I love she gets angry and angry. Like, listen, I'm gonna make your life fucking awful. I can call you at work. Would you like that? Would you like me to call you at work? Mm-hmm. Do you know how this is gonna go, Barry? And he's like, "I love that." During this whole scene, he's like halfway out the door, yeah. and when things start getting intense, he goes. Right before hanging up, he goes, "Okay, no, thank you." <laughs> yeah, I also like. I think we we missed it. I, I want to say it's during the pitch, the sales pitch he's making in the beginning. After all the calls from his sister and stuff like that, I think he takes one of the calls in his office or whatever, and then he stands by the harmonium and plays it for a minute, and it gets like artsy and funny, mm-hmm. and then it's immediately deflated by him walking into the door. Yeah, the, yeah, the whole door. He tries to push it. Very funny. Uh, but anyways, he goes to work, and at work, I think this is when Gail brings in Lena. We just talked about this kind of a thing just a yes. second ago. 
a big accident happens out there. Him and Lena are alone, and there's already kind of a connection. You can you can just feel it. They you, like each should other. Should you go check on that? I love that it goes. Hey, hey, hey. Like, yeah, yeah. Anybody heard out there? So anyway, yeah, do you do what my sister does, or do you do I something else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, basically, eventually, she you know she leaves with Gale, but then uh, uh, Lena pretends to uh, go into her car and waits for Gale to leave. When Gale leaves, she goes back in. And she's like, "Hi, I want to take you to dinner tomorrow." And he's like, "Okay." And she's like, "Is seven okay? O'clock okay?" And he's like, "Okay." And you know that kind of a thing. It's a nice little bit. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Very cute. Do they go? Does it cut immediately to them at the dinner? That's what I remember next. Yes. Yeah. Um, they're at the dinner and they're having a little conversation. That someone's always stuck out to me. I, I uh, she, she's honest with him and she says, "I got to be honest. I saw your picture on her desk and I was like, I got to meet that guy." Kind of a thing. And I just want to let you know that because I didn't want there to be anything in the beginning and whatnot. And um, this is suspect to me. Yeah. Um, yes. Everything about what she says here. Uh-huh. It feels very sweet and I'm happy that Barry is happy, but also this feels gross. Especially <laughs> okay. when she's like, I uh, I dropped my car off there on purpose because I know it is next door to where you work. Mm-hmm. And I saw a picture of you on your sister's desk <laughs> and thought, that guy's hot. I gotta yeah. meet him. Yeah. That's suspect. I yeah. don't like any of that. I think their relationship happy for Barry happy he's growing but <laughs> yeah. throughout this whole movie I'm like this is not a good relationship for either of them <laughs> this is a scene though that has always stuck out to me because I, I love his little bit where he's like there's these there's this radio program and I, I just love the radio DJs and in fact I feel like he almost talks like David Lynch during this scene and talks with his hands in the same way mm-hmm. um, and he's like and there's this DJ justice and I just like you know he always tells what it is he's always cutting people down to size or whatever and this guy calls and he tells the whole thing about confusion say and he's like confusion or confucius or whatever and it's just one of those things where like uh i love that they had barry give like such a like a dead fish of a yes <laughs> absolutely like, absolutely that makes it so much better and the fact that she's still like genuinely like laughing and looking mm-hmm. at him and, and it should have killed like the intent i feel like is that it should have killed the date yeah but she likes him so it doesn't yeah she's just so enamored by him and how sweet and shy and stuff he is yeah Yeah. and she brings up um the fact that the sisters have told him about uh you know like the anger problem kind of thing and that trips him off how does adam sandler get so red so fast (laughs) in that moment like that's the best acting i've seen in a human being is he you watch it happen in less than a second he goes and his skin gets bright red immediately. I'm like, yeah. how do you do that to yourself, Adam Sandler? And he goes and he smashes up the bathroom. And then he comes back to the fucking table and they have a little bit of conversation. She's like, are you all right? She's, you're bleeding. He's like, yeah, no, I'm fine. It's like that. And then a sir, a sir comes to him and says, sir, come with me, would you? Or whatever. And they go talk in a little nook. And I love that he's like, did you just destroy the bathroom or whatever? And he's like, yeah, no, no, that wasn't me. And he's like, well, the bathroom's all smashed up. And he's like, yeah, I wonder who did that. I think the first thing he says is, Someone just destroyed our bathroom. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Was it you? Yeah, no, 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 no. no, no, no. Then he's like, sir, I have no re- way to prove that you smashed up the bathroom or whatever. Yeah, he keeps saying smash the bathroom and stuff. And he's like, I'm going to have to ask you to go. And he's like, come on. No, 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 no. And I think at one point he says, like, please don't do this. Yeah, yeah, don't do this. yeah please don't do this. Get right. out of here. I'm going to bash your fucking head in. Yeah. And then he, should get, he goes to the table and he says, like, hey, we should get out of here or whatever. And, and no. then leave. <laughs> he goes, hey, uh, <laughs> manager's behind him. He yeah. hasn't sat down. He whispers in your ear. Uh, hey, yeah, I don't really like this place. I think we should go. <laughs> yeah. And they're in the car, and this is the honesty scene where she asks yep. him, like, did you steal that harmonium? And he goes, yeah, I did. Was it yours? And she's like, no, no, I just, you know, kind of want to know whatever. Um, I also do love when they're at dinner and he tells her about the frequent flyer miles. And it gets real quiet. Oh, and yeah. It is the most confident he is in the entire movie. Yeah. And he gets done with it, and she goes, that's so weird. And he goes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, then they go back to her place, and he walks her to the door. And they talk for a little bit in her apartment. Yeah. 
Um, and then he leaves. She tells him about her trip to Hawaii and stuff like that. And this is the funniest part of the movie to me. It's probably my favorite part. Yeah. He's saying goodbye. And he goes, and I hope to see you again soon. And enjoy your trip. And bye-bye. <laughs> and then he leaves, and it's him walking down the hallway alone. And he's just going, and bye-bye. And bye-bye. And bye-bye, fucking. And bye-bye, stupid fucking. <laughs> yeah. Very funny. Uh, but by the time he gets to the door, she's called. Yeah, she calls down to the lobby. Yeah, down to the lobby. And she says, Hey, I don't know what you where you're going right now, what you're going to do, but I just want you to know that I really wanted to kiss you before you left. And then he sprints back. <laughs> and he's like and, trying to like look and remember. And he, he's just running all over the place. He like pushes through one door. It goes outside. An alarm goes off. And he goes, ah. And he just <laughs> runs back up the stairs. And they kiss. Yeah. And then the oh. next scene. What's the next scene? The next scene, I think, is do the brothers find him? I'll probably a lot of the sex uh, hotline business has been being cut to and from. And yeah. We just are skipping over it. But yeah. Philip I Seymour think we Hoffman. cut to, yeah, the brothers probably being told they got to roll out. Philip Seymour Hoffman's there. He's drinking uh, just a drink out of a Hardy's cup. It could have been filmed in California and been Carl's Jr., but they're sister companies or whatever the fuck. And so... Uh, I've always, in my mind, associated eating at Harvey's with uh, someone who wants to live off the grid and isn't interested in the government being in their business, or perhaps someone who's uh, trying to avoid some kind of governmental or authoritative like yeah. body. Yeah, I feel um, the same way because yeah. I've never seen one. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, so him having that to me on brand is on, yeah, yeah. on brand that he would go to Hardy's. Um, but he gives the the skinny to these guys. He says a hundred bucks they work. It's more money than your family's making or whatever the fuck. And uh, you know they got to pay. I'm for only paying gas. two of you. Yeah, yeah, and uh, they got to pay for gas, whatever. And then I believe it's, well, maybe we got ahead of ourselves, uh, and that happened a little bit earlier, and the brothers get him on the way home from date with Lena? I believe so, yeah. Yeah. It's tough, because he wears the same outfit through this yeah. whole movie, so I don't know when anything happens. <laughs> and so, yeah, they scam him out of, like, 500 bucks or whatever. Um, and he gives them shit about it? Yeah. And then they try to beat him up, and then he runs and does yeah. the... Uh, <laughs> so funny. Yeah. And then I love, like, he's running down the street at one point, and they drive yeah. by him, and they slow down to be at speed and they're like, like where are you going you we know where you live yeah and then i think he goes straight to work from yeah. there and at work is this when he brings uh luis guzman to uh to go buy all the puddings and stuff like that because uh lena's leaving for ryan he wants to have enough frequent flyer miles for it uh, it's very fun they're running around together and he's yeah. like i'm gonna go get in line you go grab some more whatever all that kind no, of stuff i love that luis guzman he says it twice so you know it's not an accident he says i'm gonna get online mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh they go back and i believe barry calls and says like uh he's told that basically it's gonna take six to eight weeks for those to accumulate or whatever or mature whatever yeah because he fuck. wants to get his free tickets so he can go to hawaii yeah with Lena. yeah and he does end up going to hawaii um with his own buddy yeah He's in Hawaii. There's all kinds of commotion on the street, some kind of parade or something like that. And he's at a payphone and he's trying to call his sister and ask about like, uh, you know, where Lena's Why? hotel is. Why do you want to know? Yeah, and he's Why like, do you you want to "I'll fucking murder you. Do you want that? Is that what you want? You want me to murder you? I will fucking kill you. Is that what you want? Do you want that? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he does get her number whatever he calls, but a man answers and for a minute your heart sinks. Yeah. But then he's like, yeah, you got the wrong number or whatever. Uh, or the wrong room and so they calls the hotel back he gets lena's thing or whatever he says i'm in hawaii they meet up they have a wonderful time i love on the phone he's talking to her and he goes uh you don't have a boyfriend do you and she goes no and he goes okay i was just making sure <laughs> what was the last time you were in a relationship and she's like oh that's that and like she's like do you want to just talk about this in person and he goes yeah. yeah where are you from originally <laughs> 
Um, and yeah, they, they have a nice little time. Uh, there's also the phone call she gets the next day from the sister, and she's like, he's really weird, isn't he? And she's like, yes, he is a little on, and all that kind of stuff. Um, they go home, and the next thing I remember is them getting into the car accident with the brothers. Yeah. The brothers ram the thing. I think so. For the first time, Barry snaps, and he doesn't just destroy an inanimate object. He beats up a bunch of people, all the brothers. And uh, she goes to the hospital, and that's I when... L- I love that he beats the shit out of them with the tire iron, goes to the last guy who's in the car, who, like, scatters okay. into the back seat. He smashes out the window with the tire iron that they had, like, puts his upper body into the car, and just hands the tire iron back to the guy in the back. That's a good, that's a good move. Um, but basically, she's at the uh, hospital, and he abandons her because he's got to go and give a mattress man the business. Yeah, he runs to his office to call him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he goes to D&D Mattress Services or Cleaning or whatever the fuck that is to meet our bad yeah, guy. Yeah, he flies all the way there. What is yeah. it, like North Dakota or Kansas Something or some like shit that. like that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, he basically gives him uh, the little speech. Do you have the speech ready? Did you write that down? Where he basically talks about how he's like, I don't care about the money kind of thing. I just want this to be over with. So I came all this way just to say, that's that mattress man. No, the only thing I have written down yeah. is uh, he comes in, he's like, hey, fuck you. And they're like getting like, like yeah. they're starting to get angry at each other. Yeah. And, that's after and, he says that little bit and he's like, you came all this way to say that's that. And he's like, yeah. yeah. And he like walks away and he's like, fuck you. And he's like, fuck you, fuck you, you piece of shit. He's like, whoa, you called me a piece of that kind of thing. Yeah. Before the mattress man speech though, but he's like walking up to him while he's getting the haircut. Yeah. And he's like, what are you fucking doing here? And Perry goes, I have so much strength in me. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also met the first time they talked on the phone a long time ago. There was a, there was a very first time where he's like, uh, hey, one of your girls is a square. He's like, fuck you, whatever. And he's like, no, that was like immediately before this. Oh, really? Was it? He calls yeah. him on the phone. He's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, Go shut, fuck yourself. Yeah. You just tell me. No, you just tell me. Yeah, so good. Um, very good. Um, yeah, he gives a great uh, match. Also, I love it's. I know it's immediately because he calls him. Yeah. And then he leaves to go get on the plane, but you see him running out of with work the, with the, the phone. phone yeah. And then I love that you don't see it until he's about to leave yeah. Kansas or wherever he's in to talk to the mattress man. He still has yeah. the phone in his hand. Yeah. Uh, and in this oh. conversation, I really do like that. How sincerely he says, I came, like, I, I just, that's that mattress man. He's like, you came all this way to say that, Sam. You know, that kind of a thing. It's nice. You tell anyone about this? Yeah. No. Well, then that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get out of here, you fucking pervert. What did you just fucking say? Yeah. All right, that's that. Yeah, he said, oh, that's that. Yeah, so good. So good. And then he rushes to the hospital. She's gone. And then I love that he runs back to work. I love that he thought she'd still be in the hospital. He's been gone for so long. Yeah. He runs back to work. Everyone's like, what's going on? He's like, nothing, I'm fine. I'll be back later. And picks up the, and still in a full sprint, picks up the, whatever the piano's called and yeah. runs back to her place. Yeah. Yeah, and he gives her the speech about being sorry that I left you at the hospital, and yeah, yeah, I smashed up the bathroom. I'm sorry. Yeah, and is that the the? I think that's the end. I think that's much, the yeah. very end. That's where it ends. And wow, what a phenomenal movie! Uh, uh, yeah, to a degree, I'm almost at a loss for words. This is a beautiful movie. It's a funny movie. It's a, it's yeah. For you said it perfectly in the beginning, where it's like it's so small scale and yet it encompasses so much. <laughs> um, it's almost like Paul Thomas Anderson can't help his little self. Um, yeah it's, somehow it's you know stripped as stripped back as you possibly could get following something like magnolia and yet at times as big as magnolia can get yeah. uh, it's got action it's got uh, thrills it's got chills it's got laughs uh no gills there's no real water in this one yeah it's, it's, so, it's the only thing it's missing kind of I mean, it's a plus for me 
Um, yeah, I adore this movie. I yeah. think it's um, great soundtrack. I love the yeah. little remixed version of uh, Shelley Duvall's "He Needs Me" from the Popeye soundtrack. Yep. yep. Um, I hate when people tell me like, "Oh, did you know that Paul Thomas Anderson was just uh, doing like an art house remake of Popeye that was his whole thing?" I was like, I, "No, it probably wasn't." Yeah, but Chris, it did you also know wasn't. he's doing like an art house kind of like it's supposed to be a Superman movie because she's she's his cape. She's in the dress, so when she hugs him around, it looks like the cape. Yeah. Fuck off. No. Um, but also, maybe I love Superman, so I'm fine with that being. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can well. see the Popeye thing, but I'm tired of like dudes who like movies come up to me and be like, "Do you know that's just like a remake of Popeye? It's just Paul Thomas Anderson doing his version of Popeye." That's not what he set out to do. That's... Did you know that you haven't had any original thoughts, sir? <laughs> um, yeah, I love this movie. Um, I think uh, I love. I think it's the best use of Adam Sandler in anything. Um, I love. It's just the I, it's well, it's probably the shortest Paul Thomas Anderson. Perhaps movie, yeah. it's only like thirty hour thirty five or thirty eight hour thirty five. Yeah, yeah hour thirty five. Um, just so quick, just a, a wonderful little put on this movie, watch it, enjoy every minute of it, and then you still got the rest of your day. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Yeah. Um. I just yeah. I can't. We gushed about it as much as we could at the beginning, and I can't say anything new about it. I'm, mm-hmm. Chris, I'm gonna give this movie. I'm going to give it an A+. Plus. I was thinking about an S. Right. I'm going to give it an A+. Plus. Okay. I wonder what's in the S. I can't remember what you have in the S tier. Uh, the Shining okay. and Other. I don't okay. know. Okay. I don't remember. But yeah, uh, how far into this are we? Two hours. Two hours? So that's not going to be accurate after I edit it. But we have come all this way to say that's that mattress. No, plan. we got to watch. What are we watching next week? Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, well, uh, I don't know what you're thinking, but I was thinking I would go ahead and say Raising Arizona. It's been on my mind for a while. It's not like I got a burning desire, but Raising Arizona. I want to talk about, because last week we did your Thanksgiving movies. I want to talk about maybe my not Thanksgiving, not Christmas movies, that little gray area in between. For some reason to me, Chris, that time of year, screams James Bond. Okay. We have talked in the past about watching all of them. Uh And that's going to be tough because there are A, a lot of them. I will do them sometimes. And B, even the best James Bond movies are very long and very boring. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that could be tough. Eh, That's all right. Let's do it. Let's lock in. Let's start it off. Hold on. Let's talk it off. I I got a suggestion. Okay. Dip a toe real quick. We watch... Dr. No, the first one, mm-hmm. the first James Bond movie, and then we do Casino Royale. So we get the spectrum. Okay. Let's watch Dr. No. We might fall in love with it. Who knows? Well, I don't want to watch Dr. No next week. What? No? You don't know? Why not? Dr. No? Because I, I wanted to do those together oh, in one episode. Oh, as a pair. Oh, okay. And I thought we would dip our toes by just watching one. Like, that would be just the one yeah. to dip our toes in the yeah. t- James Bond test episode. Yeah. Doctor No, just see, just just do Doctor No, yeah. Instead of adaptation, yeah. All right, fine. We'll do Doctor No and um, that other movie you said, Racing Arizona, yeah. next week. Does that sound good to you? Yeah. All right. What are we at? We are at an hour and fifty six minutes. Damn, we came all that way just to say that's that mattress man. If you need more soup, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, or go to our website, eatingsoupalone.com. And until next time...